Let us turn now to the second epistle of Paul to Timothy, chapter 3, and we'll read from verse 14. Second Timothy, chapter 3, reading at verse 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for, uh, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. <clears throat> Now you remember that last month I decided to do a series of dresses with you on the first Sabbath of every month in the morning on the <clears throat> passages in the Bible in which the uh, answers, the questions, in the, the answers to the questions in the shorter catechism are based. And last week, month we looked at the first one that we are to do all things to the glory of God, that our chief aim, our chief purpose, and our objective in life is to show forth all that is true of God, to rejoice and to delight in God, and uh, to honor and serve him, to glorify him in time and throughout eternity. The question I follow from that, of course, is there are many, how do I do that? How can I come to know God? What guidelines are given to me for the way in which I am to glorify God? Where is the source of my knowledge? And uh, we know that the answers that the Catechism gives to that are found in the first, in, in number two and in the Catechism. What rule hath God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him? And the answer is that the Word of God it's contained in the scripture of the Old and New Testament is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. And what do these scriptures teach? The scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. And uh, it is for that reason that I take the words in Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 14 onwards as a passage in which to hang our thoughts in connection with the answers to these questions today. And in the verses we have two main thoughts. They tell us of the origin of Scripture and they tell us, secondly, of the purpose of Scripture. Let us remind ourselves, before we pass on briefly, of what the Apostles say here, the context in which the passage is set. Paul is experienced Christian and minister of the gospel, now nearing the end of his life's journey, is writing to his to the young minister Timothy, the man who was going to take over from himself very shortly, and uh, he encourages this young minister to remain steadfast to those things which uh, he had learnt from childhood. He reminds Timothy that from his childhood 
he had known the Holy Scriptures were, as he put it here, able to make the wise unto salvation. He reminds very simply one thing. From childhood, you have always had an open Bible before you. Continue in the teachings that you have learned from that source book. And remember, he says, that that book is given by inspiration of God, that it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, and that if you apply yourself wholeheartedly to the teaching of that word, you will become a perfect man, well equipped unto all the good works to which God has called you. Hence, we see in this short passage, as in many other passages in this book, the importance of the Bible for each and every one of us. Well now, what do we understand from what are we told here in connection with this book, the Word of God, the Scriptures, the Bible? Well, we're told about its origin, that it is given by inspiration of God. Now, before coming to deal particularly with the word inspiration, there is a question that we have to answer here in the passing. It's all very well to say that our chief end is to glorify God, that we are to do all things to the glory of God, no matter what it is, that we bring our lives under this one great umbrella. This is our objective in life and in the light of eternity to glorify and to enjoy. The question confronts us there is this, how can I know that God? What is the source of my knowledge? Now, you will know, of course, and the child here has been told this, I'm sure, in the Sabbath school, indeed, uh, if not at home, you will know that there are, we generally tend to speak of three sources that we have for our knowledge of God, and the Bible tells us of these three. Nature, the na nature around us, the world in which we live, our own conscience, and the word of God. Now if you read the first two chapters of the Epistle of the Romans, you will find that their emphasis laid upon the way in which the knowledge of the existence of God can be communicated to the human heart through what God himself has created. As you look around, look around the world, and you see there the creation of God, the world speaks to people of the presence of God. But no man by going hill climbing or mountaineering, standing by a lochside or anywhere else, will ever come, and this is what the Bible teaches, will ever come to believe or will ever come to believe in a God who is a saviour by the mere study of creation. In other words, creation may tell us of the existence of God, of the reality of God. But it doesn't tell us that that God is the saviour of sinners because as I stand there and contemplate creation, I do it as a sinner. And what I need above all else is someone who can deal with the sin that I carry around with me no matter where I go. Where is my knowledge of God the saviour to be found? From a study of nature? No, that's what the Bible says. Because it isn't that Maybe God, it isn't that, 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 that there is anything wrong with nature 
as a social or knowledge of God, the problem lies with me and with you. That we need more than that because we are sinners. We are blinded to the glory of God in creation. Then, of course, another source that we have, this thing that you and I carry around with us no matter where we go, the thing that we call conscience. For though we, in a sense, may... Um, though though, though, uh, we may deny from creation as many people do the existence of God at least as many people claim to do they still carry around with them this thing that always nags away when they do wrong it reminds them of the wrongness and this is again what Paul is speaking about in the first two chapters of Romans this innate knowledge that you and I carry around with us that we call conscience what a wee boy once called the voice box through which we hear the voice of God speaking to us. When you do wrong, when you do something you shouldn't have done, there's this witness inside you that tells you that you shouldn't have done it. And the wrongness is discovered, seen, in the light of what is right. And the great supreme right, of course, is God himself. The great truth is God himself. And we recognize ourselves as wrong. This voice telling us that what we've done is contrary <laughs> to what we ought to have done. And yet, with that alone, we could never come to the knowledge of God as a Savior. We need something more than that. And so, God in his goodness has revealed himself in his word. This is what we call the revelation of the goodness and the grace and the glory and the love and the mercy of God in his own word God has communicated his own mind to men that is what we call the revelation of God the communication by God of his mind to men and what we call the scriptures is that communication of God to men put into writing by men either by the men to whom God revealed himself or by men who were told by God of the revelation that he had made to men in the past and this is the revelation put down in writing which we call the written revelation or the scriptures which as we read here is given by or are given by inspiration of God and the scriptures therefore this, this word scriptures is to put it, to define it as simply as we possibly can the scriptures are the written form of God's revealed will to men that is the difference between speaking of the Bible as revelation and the Bible as the revealed will written down or the Bible as scripture. The, they are inspired by God. Now, we've got to look at it a wee bit more closely. The scriptures we discover therefore are the written form of God's revealed will. Put it so if we can carry this away with us maybe easier and seeing there are so many young people children present let me put it like this you see God as you know revealed himself often to the likes of Abraham often to Abraham 
Now that was the revelation of God's will to Abraham. Now Abraham didn't write it down, but Moses did. And God told Moses what to write about the revelation that he had made of himself to Abraham. And when Moses was writing that revelation, Moses was inspired by God to write. And when Moses was writing what God was telling him to write, because he was inspired by God, the product of his hand, if you can imagine him writing with pencil and paper and pencil, as he wasn't, of course, but if you can imagine him writing with pencil and paper, you can say this, that when he finished a page, see, he wrote 20 lines. And see, he was writing the, the history of God's calling of Abraham out of Mesopotamia and so on. And he wrote 20 lines. When he was finished writing these 20 lines, as he was divinely inspired by God, there were 20 lines which were free of error. Inspiration means that the, that the thing, the words which were produced by the means God employed by this man, say Moses, what was produced by him was perfect, infallible, inerrant, free from all error because they were inspired by God. It doesn't mean, by the way, maybe I shouldn't, maybe if I say this, I'll only confuse the issue, but I might as well say it, see, I, was, see, I mentioned. It doesn't mean, you see, that Moses wrote something, as it were, under his own steam, and then after a period of time, God inspired that, or God inspired other people to believe that what Moses wrote was true. It doesn't mean that. It means that what Moses wrote originally was the product of the Spirit of God breathing in him and breathing through him. And the finished article was the Word of God. And we write there in Peter, for example, that men, holy men of God, were born along by the Spirit of God as they were putting into writing the revelation of God. They were born along. And that, that, that suggests to us, that means, that teaches that these people were so much under the influence of the Spirit, they were completely under the influence of the Spirit, so that when they were writing like that, there was no error in what they wrote. And that is why we claim, not for the authorized version, not for the RSV, not for the NIV, not for the New English Bible, not for the good news to modern man. That's why we claim not for any of these versions, but for the original Word of God, the complete inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, and a product which is absolutely free from all error. Doesn't mean that the versions are free from error. Of course they aren't. But that which is the original, upon which they are placed and from which they themselves proceed is absolutely, totally free from all error. All scripture is inspired 
in that way by God. All scripture, without any single exception, not a portion of a chapter, not two or three verses out of 43, not what Jesus said out of what John said, but every single thing that every single writer of the Bible wrote down is written by the inspiration of God. The history, the historical setting, the geographical occasion in which incidents are recorded, all these things are written down as divinely inspired by the Spirit of God. And that is why you have to take a stand here on the authority of God's word in its totality and subject, as I see in a minute, your own understanding, your own connections, your own thoughts to the authority of that word which comes to you as the divinely inspired word of God. And extra revelations as they are called are therefore a distortion of the truth and a denial of the completeness of the truth of God because as I said all scripture is given by this inspiration of God and the confession of faith and the shorter catechism which we are here studying affirm the absolute objective completeness of scripture as a guide to our service of God, as a guide to our faith and to the life that we live. We require nothing else to believe, and we require nothing else to live the way you and I ought to live. And to deny that is to deny the authority and the inspiration and the completeness of the Word of God for faith and for life. And that is why we object and that is why we expose the error of cults and, uh, uh, and, and faiths that, and religions that do not subscribe to the authority of the word of God and that are not, and that are not bounded by the all sufficiency of the word of God that is why Mormonism and the, 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 the Jehovah Witnesses and the, the teachings of the Moonies are exposed as things which are wrong because they deny the finality and the totality and the authority and the inspiration of the Word of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is ever complete and is final for us for faith and for life. And that is why the, the shorter Catholic put it like this. The word of God which is contained in the scripture of the Old and New Testament is the only rule to direct us. The only rule. Not a rule among many. But the only one to direct us how we may glorify God and enjoy him. And that is why it goes on to say the scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God what duty God requires of man. The scriptures teach other things, but they principally teach what we are to believe concerning God. And that's why he goes on to say, all given by inspiration of God is, and is, 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 is able to make the wise unto salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ our 
Lord, not our own, but the own. And the only way in which we can glorify God is through an acceptance of this word that he himself has given. And there is no other rule whatsoever laid down for Christian living. No tradition that is handed down to you or to me. No church practices. No regulations by this church or by any other denomination, be the FP or Church of Scotland, whatever church. No regulation, no rule will ever and must never take the place of Scripture as the one which directs me regarding the way of salvation and the way in which I live. And to go beyond the truth of God is to introduce a system which is nothing short of legalism. And this is what happened to the church in Galatia. Their Christian liberty was being bound by things which were being brought into the church by the enemies of the truth, and they lost their liberty. One of the American theologians, B.B. Warfield, put it like this. One of the chief effects of confessions, of declarations, and of the shorter catechism statement regarding, for example, the only rule, and listen to this, is to protect the people of God from the tyranny of human requirements which laid upon man's consciences burdens that God had not laid upon them and burdens that are too grievous to be borne by any individual. And you and I have to be extremely careful that we do not bind what God has set free. So, for example, I have no right. I have no right and my church has no right to demand that you do not associate yourself in acts of public worship, for example, with fellow believers out with the confines of your own denomination on pain of church censure. That would be a denial of the authority and of the completeness and finality of scripture as the only rule of faith and of life. The church into whose membership you come at the same time on the, on the basis of the word of God expects a degree of faithfulness from you and from me as members of this church to the stand that our church takes. But beyond that, I cannot go. And uh, as I said, we have to be extremely careful that we don't add to what the Bible demands of people for faith and for practice. That we don't add to the scriptures. And use our common sense by deducing from scriptures standards that we may biblically apply to ourselves and to others, for example, with reference to church discipline. Let me give you a simple example of this. There's nothing in the Bible that tells me that the three church congregation of Storm we must meet in the seminary on a Sabbath morning at 11 a.m. There's nothing that says that. I deduce from what the Bible says that the church, the free church congregation of Stornoway, ought to meet every Lord's Day for public worship. It doesn't say that we ought to meet at 11. It doesn't mean that we ought to meet at 7. 
As a matter of fact, if I may make a personal reference here, I wish the evening service in this town were services were earlier, by half an hour. It would help many young families, I know that. And perhaps to encourage younger families to attend as well, because by the time they get home it's getting rather late on a Sabbath night. When you have a congregational fellowship as well, that itself makes things later. But you see, it so happened that the church um, the church officers in their wisdom and days gone by determined that the best time for meeting for public worship in this town was 11 and 7. There's nothing in the Bible to say that it ought to be that. But you see, you deduce things from the Bible and you've got to exercise your common sense. And uh, you've got to apply these principles sensibly to the way in which you live and the way in which you worship. But always remember that your soul, your chief authority, and your only rule for faith and life is what you have down here in the Word of God. And uh, that is why we have to submit our own understanding and own reason to the Scriptures and let the Word of God be true at all times and every other man a liar. Now, if the Scriptures are thus given by inspiration of God, for what purpose are they given? Well, we're told here that they're given for this purpose. They are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus, and they are profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. <clears throat> they are able to make thee wise unto salvation. <clears throat> Now, I wonder if I could introduce this subject in this way. The Bible is not our source book for all our knowledge. The Bible isn't the source book for my knowledge of the multiplication tables, which, and even with the is enlightened age in which we live, educations themselves will have come, have, have come to accept that, well, after all, we need to know the tables. After all, we need to know them. In the same way as we need to know the alphabet. But it's not my source book for knowing the alphabet. It's not my source book for telling me how to, how to go up, how, how to become a good fisherman or a good crafter. There are other source books for these things. It is my best source book for geography. Though what it does have to say on these things is authoritative. If the Bible says anything on any subject, no matter what it is, what it says on that subject is authoritative. But it is not the source book for my knowledge, for, for all my knowledge. But without a shadow of doubt, it is my source book for my knowledge of salvation. It is able to make thee wise unto salvation. And the short occasion puts like this, the scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God, what duty God requires of man. It is the only rule to direct us. I will make clarify 
and enjoy. And remember last week, last month, we, we saw that we set out on this life of glorifying God by believing God. This is the first step we take in the life of glorifying Him and showing forth all that is true of Him. We believe in Him. And how do I believe? How can they believe this Paul? Unless they hear, hear what? Hear about this Savior God. And this is what the Bible is principally about. It's all about the provision that God in His grace has made for the salvation of man. It begins at the very at, at the very outset. It begins with the story of how God made the world and man, and how man brought sin into a perfect environment. And from that moment on, the Bible is an unfolding of the revelation of God, an unfolding of God as the Savior of this lost man. From the very outset, God determined that He would send a son into the world to save man. And the history unfolds for hundreds and hundreds of years, bringing the world nearer and nearer and nearer the point where this God would be revealed in the flesh. And the time came in the fullness of time. God was manifested in the flesh. And that God lived in this world, suffered in this world as a sin bearer, was crucified in this world, rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven after a period of time, and is in heaven awaiting till he comes again to judge the world. He's going to come a second time. Now this is the whole thrust of the Bible. Timothy says, Paul, from the time you were a child, you could you had an open Bible. And that Bible has told you about the salvation of God. And it is through that Bible you come to know your Savior God. Hence, my friend, the importance of taking your Bible off your shelf, taking it off your bedside cabinet, and reading it as often as you possibly can. You'll never know enough about the God who is our Savior. And this is where we come for the knowledge of ourselves in our need of a Savior. What does Paul say? But were it not for the Bible, he says, I wouldn't have known sin. Think of that. Were it not for the Bible, he says, I wouldn't have known sin. Oh, you see, if there are people who don't read the Bible, they'd be the first to admit that they're sinners. Yes, I know. But isn't it significant? Maybe there's some of you here today like that. Isn't it significant? That the moment the Spirit of God begins to deal with you, convicting you of what? Of your sin. What do you do? What have you started doing? You've started reading your Bible. Isn't that significant? Oh, you say, I'm not getting any comfort from it. No, that might be true. I don't seem to be getting further on. That may be true as well. I don't seem to discover the Lord as my Savior. I know, that may be true. You see, don't you be of the mistaken impression at the moment you begin to read your Bible seriously for the first time that then you're going to get light and liberty and comfort and consolation. Oh no, it 
doesn't always work like that. You remember what happened the day of Pentecost when Peter preached the gospel to them and the Spirit of God blessed the word to their heart? What happened? They were cut to the heart. They were hurt. They didn't like what they heard. Didn't like it. Didn't bring consolation and comfort and peace to them. It shattered their hopes. Spoiled their lives. This is very often what the Bible does when the Spirit of God blesses it to you. You read it. And what do you discover? I'm getting better. Oh no. I'm getting worse. I thought when I would start reading this Bible that I would become a better individual. And I thought years ago that if I became, I would turn to the Lord when I was better. But I'm worse than I ever was. Oh yes, my friend. You see, you're beginning to see yourself in the light of the Word. And it's making you wise to seek salvation as a sinner who has been convicted of a sin and who discovers that there is salvation nowhere else. You thought by reading Bible you'd be saved, but you discover you can't. You thought by praying that you'd be saved, but no. You don't have to you don't seem to have a prayer now. You thought if you started coming to church, you'd get peace, but you're not getting peace. No, and you won't. Until you come to the Savior who can give you peace. And this is what the Bible is all about. It directs the sinner to the Savior. Principally. Principally. Oh, there are other things in the Bible. There's the story of the creation of the world. There's the story of the fall of man. There's the story of the flood that destroyed the old world. There's the story of the covenant that God made with Noah. And the salvation of Noah by way of the ark. There's the story of the exodus of the children of Israel from Egypt. The story of her going into Egypt in the first place. Through Joseph and Jacob. And coming out hundreds of years afterwards led by Moses. The Bible is full of the history of this people being led through the wilderness for 40 years. Entering into the promised land. The prophets God sent to them in the promised land. The men of God who told them about God and told them about a coming Savior. It's full of the history of the rebellion and their captivity, their restoration, and so on. The history of the life of Jesus as mentioned and his death and resurrection and so on. The history of the planting of the church and the extension of the church. It's full of many incidents in the history of these men and women throughout the years and throughout the ages. The very heart of all that history is this great Savior God who saves men and women, boys and girls from their sin. Timothy, ever since you began to read the Bible, you've read about this salvation of God. And this is not the case with you and with me today. This is not what you have the Bible for. And be sure that when you come to the Bible that you look for this God. That you pray, Lord, open my eyes that I may see thy salvation. See, too many people tend to be a God of their Bible. In the same way as too many people tend to be a God of their church. A God of their denomination. A God of Sabbath of service. A God of this rule, a God of this rule and this, 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 this tradition and the next. There's only one God. And there's only one Savior God. And if you want to know him, this is what the Bible is all about. Principally. Supremely. 
able to make thee wise unto salvation. But there is something else to you, and this is the final thing. What the Bible does, it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, instruction. Profit of make you a perfect man, truly furnished unto all good works. <clears throat> Able to make you wise unto salvation, before I leave it, notice the importance, through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, my friend, you read the Bible, it leaves you no doubt here. There are many problems that you come across the Bible. Of course there are. I don't deny that. There are many passages you'll find extremely difficult to understand. You read the book of Ezekiel and the book of Revelation. Things there that you and I in this life will probably never understand. What does this text mean and what does that text mean? And sometimes we have to say, well, I'm not very sure what it means. And why does this passage say this and another passage says the next thing? And there are times when you do admit, well, it's difficult for me to know why these things are there. But all I know is that God had a purpose for putting them like that. Of course there are difficulties. And of course there's the great difficulty. What about this predestination and election? What about reprobation? What about all these things? I know, I know. God coming in the flesh can't understand. I know, I know. So many things will remind us almost in a, in, in, a, in a state of unbelief. I know. I know. We're all pained from time to time by these floods, if not flashes of unbelief. And we have to cry with that man of old, Lord, I believe. Take thou away my unbelief. I grant you that there are problems and there are difficulties. But we do not accept this on the same, at the same time. That from the matter of salvation there is no difficulty. It's as clear as ABC. Spurgeon put it, it's as clear as ABC, he said, but people then are DEF. And how true that is. And the mouth of salvation is as clear as daylight. The Bible says before you are Savior, and the condition of salvation is this, through faith in Jesus Christ. Through faith in Jesus Christ. That's all that you're asked to do today. That's all I'm asked to do. A committing of ourselves to him. A giving of ourselves to him in this act of faith. Lord, I believe. I come to thee. And I give thee myself to depend upon thy grace. That's all. No more and no less. Never mind your difficulties and your problems. The things that you grapple with in the history and so on of the Bible. Leave that aside for a moment. Your salvation doesn't hinge on your understanding of this particular chapter in Ezekiel. But I tell you one thing. Your salvation, my friend, hangs on this. Are you going to believe in the Christ that the Bible presents to you as a Savior? That is where salvation lies. Through faith in Him. And that is a clear teaching of the Bible. But it's also clear on this, that here is the basis, here is our creed. All that we believe as Christians is in here. It is profitable for doctrine and for reproof. 
for correction and for instruction in righteousness. Now, I think I've two words to sum up what he's saying here. You need the Bible to believe the things you ought to believe and you need the Bible to live the way you ought to live. Now, have you noticed the order here? Belief or truth and life. You see, there are some people who say it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you live the way you ought to live. Well, that's rubbish. How are you going to live the way you ought to live? What's going to determine for you the way you live? I'll tell you. What you believe. And if you don't believe very much, you can live the way you like. And this is the trouble with so many people. You see, if the Bishop of, if the Bishop of Durham and other people can tear away and tear up the Bible here, there and everywhere, if the resurrection isn't true, if this isn't true, if the next thing isn't true, if the virgin birth isn't true, if that isn't true, what are you left with? Nothing. And what are you left with? Nothing. You can do what you like. And this is what happens to society which abundance truth. The more you abandon truth, the more chaotic society becomes. It's true at individual level. If you abandon the teachings of the Bible, you can do what you like. Your life becomes anarchy. Same at home level, same in schools. If there are no, if there's no application of discipline, if there are no guidelines for doing things and for, 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 uh, for uh, uh, I can't, the word I'm looking for, I can't get the word. If, if there are no guidelines, for doing things and uh, if there are no guidance to show you what things that you should not do chaos reigns anarchy reigns and that's why there are some people who are bent on taking away as many of the guidelines as you possibly can from the church from the home from the school from the state from society as a whole what do you end up with what you ended up with in the old days Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And that's the recipe for chaos. For chaos. And then into that chaos will step, as you very often see it happening, will step, for example, the Communist Party. And behind a lot of the... Some people don't accept this. But behind a lot of the... of, of, of this philosophy this, this uh, idea of taking away as many of the landmarks and the guidance as you possibly can behind them is that left-wing thinking that wants to create anarchy and disruption and chaos and then step in with its own heavy boot and stamp on it all and apply its guidelines and its guidelines have no reference whatsoever to God the thing about God's guidelines is this, as I said earlier from quoting Warfield, they are there to protect the liberty of the man in Christ. Take them away, and you've taken away his liberty. You give him license, and license is not liberty. So you see, it's desperately important that you believe the right things, because if you don't believe the right things, you won't live the right way. It's as simple as that, says Paul. And this is what the Bible is given. This is why it's given. It's given to lead us to salvation. A sinner shall need a savior. It's given so that 
we may have the right things to believe the Bible is profitable for doctrine that is for teaching fill your mind with the knowledge of the truth get to know your Bible get to know the doctrine of God and the doctrine of the person of Christ the doctrine of sin the doctrine of the Trinity get to know these things don't be afraid of them those who were before us knew them through and through but of course we don't live in an age when we read we look we glue to the box too much nowadays whatever else the box will do it won't fill your mind with the knowledge of God and therefore we don't read the we don't read books the way we used to the way they used to read books we don't read the Bible we don't read the, the catechism on the confession of faith with its own disastrous effects upon the life of the church when you get the church weak in knowledge and weak in doctrine it then becomes weak in faith and ultimately weak in life that's a sad outlook for the church don't you be afraid of people who accuse you of being too full of doctrine you tell them that you'll never have enough of it but remember that doctrine isn't enough you've got to know the Bible for a purpose that you might live according to the things that you're getting to know so you see it always look at how beautifully balanced the Bible is I learn about God why so that I may be like God be holy for I am holy I learn about Jesus why so that I might cultivate the mind that is in Christ that this mind be in you that was in him but for me to have his mind I must know more about him and I must, I must study his life study the way he lived and applied himself to certain situations so that I might follow his example you see the Bible is profitable for instruction the Bible is profitable for doctrine the Bible is profitable for correction to keep me right and I need to be kept right don't you? of course you do for instruction right is to make me live a right life to make sure that what I'm doing is right according to the Bible the Bible, the Bible, basic to my faith and basic to my life. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Perfect. I want to be a, as perfect a Christian as possible. Well, what do I do? I apply myself to the word of God. And I bring my life under its umbrella. And what it says is final. Not what I say, but what it says. And if I want to do the things the best way possible, I do it in accordance with the Bible. Let me close with this quotation from a recent writer on the epistle to Timothy. Put it like this. He was commenting on this chapter and Luke commenting particularly on the verses in which we have taken our, the verse of time to look at this morning. And he says this. Looking back, he says, over this chapter as a whole, we can appreciate the relevance of its message to our permissive society. The times of stress, first one in which we seem to be living, are very distressing. Sometimes one wonders of the world and the church have gone mad. So strange are their views and so lax their standards. Some Christians it has swept away from their moorings by the flood tide of sin and error. Others go into hiding 
us offering the best hope of survival, the only alternative to surrendering. But he says, neither of these is the Christian way. As for you, Paul says to Timothy, stand for him. What he said to Timothy, he says to you and me, stand for him. Never mind, and listen, this is particularly for you young Christians. Never mind if you are timid, young, inexperienced, and weak, and often alone in your witness. Paul says to Timothy, you have followed my teaching so far, now continue in what you have come to believe. You know the biblical credentials of your faith. Scripture is God-breathed and profitable. It and it alone can equip you for your work. Let the word of God make you a man of God. Remain loyal to it and it will lead you on into Christian maturity. Can we sum it up very briefly? You need your Bible. You can't do without it. You have come to know yourself as a sinner through it. You can only come to know God as a saviour in it. You need to know it for the things that you believe. You need to know more of it. You don't know enough about the Bible, neither do I. And if you fill your mind with it and let your life be directed by it, that's all you need to equip yourself, to strengthen yourself, to meet your enemies and to overcome them. Let us pray. O oh Lord, bless us, have mercy upon us and guide us. Accept our thanks for the truth that thou hast given to us in thy goodness. And go before us now and prepare us for our evening worship, forgiving all our sins for Jesus' sake. Amen. <clears throat>